You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. Members of the BC General Employees Union are escalating job action as they enter week two on the picket line. The union is calling on members to refuse all non-emergency overtime. And as Richard Zussman reports, the added job action will increase the impact on services. It is becoming a more familiar sign. Empty shelves at B.C. government liquor stores. We are starting to hear that some of our members in the retail stores are experiencing some of the frustration that public is uh, feeling. B.C. General Employee Union pickets have been up for more than a week at four liquor distribution centres across the province, leading the B.C. government to decide to put liquor purchase limits in place. You got everything you needed? I did. Enough for my martini tonight, and I'm I'm good. (laughs) It's pretty hard to buy the, yeah, I mean, the wine, some some hot liquor for now. Now the BCGU is moving to the next phase of its strike, a ban on overtime for workers. This includes those who work for the provincial government, many court staff, and those employed at BC service centres. It may slow things down for members of the public, perhaps. Um, We know that overtime is heavily, heavily used in court services. NDP MLA Henry Yao posting on Twitter Monday his admiration for the union, but his government is still not budging. The offer on the table, an 11% raise over three years, similar to increases in other provinces. There's no way the government is ever going to get to an agreement if they refuse to even answer the phone, sit down and try to have some uh, negotiations with the unions. The BCGU now moving to the next phase of action, a call on all employees to turn down overtime, including at courthouses like this one across the province and BC service centres. We're at that point now where we're going to say to our members exactly that, like here's, here's what we have. Um, We need a little bit more, so what are we going to do about that? Uh, But there's a lot of layers before you get to the point GEU is at. But unlike the GEU, the teachers are still at the table. They were hoping to sit down with the province early in September to avoid a strike like in 2014. But they were told the earliest they could have those negotiations would be later in the month. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Okay, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Been very quiet on the negotiation front, of course, mm-hmm. Keith. Is the ban on overtime enough to get talks going again? I don't think so. Based on conversations with people close to this dispute, there's no uh, expectation that an overtime ban is going to have an immediate impact, at least not apply the pressure that's required to get both sides back to the table. Uh, So don't expect talks to resume this week. Not sure they're going to resume next week. I think Labor Day is really a day that kicks off uh, sort of a more serious approach from both sides in this dispute. There just simply isn't enough pressure on either side to get either side to change its bargaining position. So, again, very surprised talks resume anytime soon. The pressure is just not there from either side. All right. Unfortunate for a lot of people who Mm -hmm. see services impacted. Thanks a lot, Keith. Well, no surprise, a new survey has found an overwhelming majority of Canadians are cutting back on their spending because of inflation. And as Aaron MacArthur shows us, that couldn't come at a worse time for businesses who are still struggling to recover from the pandemic. On the surface things look fine. People shopping, eating, spending money. Scratch the surface though and the cracks are easy to spot. 
staff shortages, supply chain issues, costs spiraling upwards. People are spending less. Bad news for the small business sector, where any pandemic recovery has been stalled by inflation. 54% of small businesses in Canada are not back to normal sales. They are not back to where they were before the pandemic. According to the Angus Reid Institute, inflation is now hitting consumers hard. Four in five Canadians surveyed say they have reduced their spending. 57% have cut back on discretionary spending. 42% have delayed a major purchase. And 32% have scaled back or canceled travel plans altogether. If the story of, of 2020 and 2021 was COVID, the story of 2022 really has been the story of inflation. July's inflation rate of 7.6%, the lowest it's been all year. But prices for everything still going up, and that's leaving people anxious. According to Angus Reid, fully half of Canadians say they couldn't cover a sudden expense of $1,000 or more. Three quarters are constantly stressed about their finances. It's not entirely surprising that it's been increasing over the past few months as, you know, the sort of the weight and uh, recognition of the impact of the high inflation and high interest rates is kind of coming home. Inflation has slowed due in large part to gasoline prices falling. Expect inflation to slow further into the last half of 2022. Little comfort for anyone struggling to make ends meet. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Now to that tragedy at a wedding in West Vancouver over the weekend. Police revealed new details today, but many questions still remain, including how exactly a vehicle crashed into a group of wedding guests, killing two of them. Sarah McDonald has the latest on this disturbing story. From the air, the aftermath of tragedy is evident. Chairs meant for wedding guests still sitting stacked on Sunday. The day after a wedding at this West Vancouver home came to a sudden end. The fatal force of a Range Rover leaving this neighboring property and somehow colliding with partygoers directly next door. Audible to neighbors. Heard a horrible crash, um, followed by a bunch of screaming. Um, it sounded like a vehicle rolling through something big and then a bunch of smaller stuff after that and then just a bunch of screaming. More than 48 hours after the mass casualty incident that left two women in their 60s dead and multiple people hospitalized, West Vancouver police still aren't providing key contacts. Did the driver, a woman in her 60s, suffer a medical event? Has she been interviewed by investigators? And was she conscious when transported to hospital? Police won't say. Right now, it's too early to speculate. We know what happened, but we are trying to figure out how. RCMP collision analysts are now in possession of the vehicle, in the process of gaining access to its event data recorder, which holds crucial information surrounding speed, one of many factors, including distracted or intoxicated driving, all being considered. We have two people that have died as a result of this collision, and we want to make sure that we get as many answers as we can associated to this. Investigators won't say if the site of the accident was ever treated as a crime scene. Of course, we will be um, exploring if there is a, a, an element of criminality associated to it, certainly. Early indicators point to what happened on this shared driveway as being simply an awful accident among neighbours. The driver also still in hospital, along with at least seven others, including a child, in conditions ranging from critical to stable. It's the wedding that changed to a death of few people, you know, who could imagine? Yeah, that's really sad. 
Criminal or Motor Vehicle Act charges are possible depending on the outcome of the investigation, which so far has yielded few answers. It's your wedding. It's not supposed to be a tragic accident. Uh, it's just a horrible, horrible thing. To the questions so many are asking. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Four men have been arrested and are facing charges after police seized guns from the Hastings Street tent encampment. Vancouver police received a tip about guns and drugs being stored in a tent near East Hastings and Carroll Street. With the help of the emergency response team, officers were able to conduct the search on Sunday and found two guns, including a loaded shotgun. They arrested two men from Surrey, one from Burnaby and one from Vancouver, all of them will be back in court in October to face multiple charges. A man is dead on Vancouver's downtown east side after what police are calling an interaction with officers this morning. Witnesses are accusing Vancouver police of using unnecessary force. The Independent Investigations Office has been called in to look into the incident, which happened near East Hastings Street and Dunleavy Avenue. VPD release says a man was acting erratically and taken into custody when he went into medical distress and died. Witnesses describe police using a non-lethal beanbag gun to subdue the man as they tried to explain to police why the man was upset. He was unarmed and that he'd been bear sprayed. The entire street was yelling at the police officers that he'd been bear sprayed and to help him. And they didn't do anything. They didn't listen to us. They immediately advanced on him and shot him in the back while his hands were raised and he was naked. You get the spray off your body. He had shorts on. He wasn't flashing. He wasn't exposing himself to anyone. He's supposed to meet his daughter. He was suffering and now he's dead. Vancouver police say the Independent Investigations Office will look into all aspects of the incident. A South Surrey man is warning drivers who use the local park and ride. It's become a target for catalytic converter thieves. And as Kamal Kuramali reports, critics say TransLink has done little to improve security at that lot. Here at the South Surrey park and ride, transit passengers aren't the only ones coming and going. Yes, I am concerned. What are you concerned about? having my catalytic converter stolen. Catalytic converter thieves targeting vehicles left unattended for hours. South Surrey resident Michael now left taking transit exclusively after his pickup truck's catalytic converter was stolen from here in broad daylight. It was extreme disappointment, right? You're trying to do your part, uh, you know, take advantage of the systems that we have and, uh, uh, you know, powerless, right? Tow truck drivers say it happens often. So it's like very common over there. Like what I can say is like two or three times a week. RCMP say there have been nine reported thefts in that parking area since the start of the year, but add the offenses are often underreported. In all of Surrey, the last two years saw nearly an identical number of catalytic converter thefts, 348 in 2020, costing nearly $700,000 in claims, 349 thefts in 2021, totaling $666,000. Back at the South Surrey Park and Ride, drivers noticing a lack of security cameras in the parking lot or a security presence. There's no supervision. They, When something happens, oh yeah, we'll come by and we'll patrol and 
you rarely ever see them around here. Both TransLink and Transit Police ignored Global News' requests for an on-camera interview and refused to answer questions on why there's no security cameras or presence visible here. Leaving drivers feeling like TransLink and the Transit Police don't care about their vehicle safety. I think the most disappointing part was to understand that this was going to continue and nothing was going to change. And warning others that the debilitating thefts will continue to happen unless something changes. Kamal Karamali, Global News. He's been the top cop in Kamloops since 2018, and now that he's leaving, Superintendent Sid Leckie has something to say. How he feels about the challenge to maintain law and order, the criminal justice system, and how it deals with repeat offenders. That's all next on the News Hour. He took a beating just doing his job, and today, a major thank you from the Chinatown merchants. This security guard was trying to protect. That's coming up later. Also coming up, a summer bummer for boaters in Burrard Inlet. Why the trip ended early. Right now, though, add another voice to the growing chorus demanding something be done about chronic and repeat offenders in B.C. As Ramita Dea reports, the outgoing top cop in Kamloops says our revolving door justice system makes it hard for police to protect public safety. The revolving door of the justice system spinning faster and faster in Kamloops. We're arresting people four or five, six times now on warrants. If that's happening, those people are oftentimes continuing to offend. Outgoing top cop RCMP Superintendent Sid Leckie speaking out after four years at the helm. Leckie says Supreme Court of Canada rulings and changes to Bill C-75 pertaining to bail and time in custody have essentially handcuffed police when dealing with chronic offenders. The onus is on police and the justice system, the courts, to release people with the least amount of um, conditions on them as possible. Well, that, if that's the case, then it's, it's, it becomes a little more challenging to hold some people accountable. The public fed up. Not just in Kamloops, mayors from across the province pleading with the government for help. The B.C. Urban Mayor's Caucus released alarming statistics in April. Ten cities, just 200-plus chronic offenders, involved in over 11,600 police incidents in the last year alone. The caucus also released data which revealed a 75% increase of no-charge assessments by Crown, guilty down 20% and a 26% increase in cases stopped or suspended. The majority of criminal offences are being committed by a small percentage of people says that we as a society have failed. We've failed to do what's necessary to keep people from having repeat conduct, contact with the justice system. And that doesn't mean holding them in a cell while they're presumed innocent until we can determine what to do with them. It means intervening before they get involved in repeat criminal behaviour. Minister Murray Rank from the Attorney General's office unavailable for an on-camera interview on this concerning matter. In an email, a ministry spokesperson told us the prolific offender review is still underway and recommendations will be made public in early fall. Severe mental health challenges and drug addiction fueling much of the chaos. A system of catch and release ineffective, says Leckie. There's got to be consequences for actions, and right now it doesn't feel like we're getting a lot of that. Romina Dea, Global News. Just ahead, a secure source of clean water at long last. Just to see it happening, finally happening, was uh, uh, surreal. 
They waited decades to be able to drink the tap water, and some residents are still waiting. But first, another fire displaces downtown residents with new concerns about a possible fire bug on the loose. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight, with just a little bit of volume on the Nordell on and off ramps at the south end. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. An early morning fire tore through multiple buildings in Vancouver. Fire crews say it started outside before quickly spreading to nearby residences. Dozens of people have been forced out of their homes now, possibly for months. Grace Key reports. Flames ripped through two separate SROs overnight in Vancouver's downtown east side. Residents say they heard a loud explosion as the fire broke out. It happened so fast. Apparently some explosions happened in behind the building and it caught on fire to our wall on one side of the building. And I hear a pop, okay, a very loud pop, like a gunfire or something like that. So I get up and look out the window, and the flames are probably, I don't know, 30, 40 feet high between the building. And so I went back inside, and then when I got back inside, I heard an explosion. It was propane tank blowing up. Jeffrey Ellenson woke up his wife. She grabbed the dog as he told her they needed to get out. Just as I said that, boom, a really big, big one, like a really, really big explosion. When she went out with the dog, I could see smoke in, in the hallway, so I knew that the building was on fire. I'm standing at the back gate. The fire guys are coming there, and they're like all there, and they're all over there in the front because I could see them, and I'm screaming at them that I can't get out. You can come and get me out. The call came in at about 4 in the morning at the corner of Princess and Powell Streets. The fire started in an alcove between two buildings where residents say a shed was located. These guys were taking everything, the tenants, and they were throwing all this garbage and crap back where that shed was. We were uh, basically chasing fire for about an hour. Uh, conditions were difficult because there's many rentals and construction over the years, so getting out the fire uh, proved very difficult. About an hour into the fire, the ceiling collapsed, and we pulled crews out and went defensive. There were some businesses in the building. Luckily, a daycare had wrapped up its summer session and had little damage, but a Japanese restaurant wasn't so lucky. About a month ago, there was a fire upstairs, and um, most of the damage was uh, to the restaurant because of the, the water, and they had to shut down, and they're still shut down. So. This is going to set them back. About 59 people have been displaced. One person was sent to hospital for smoke inhalation. No word yet on the cause of the fire. Grace Key, Global News. And some tense moments this afternoon for customers and staff at a Home Depot in North Surrey. Firefighters were called to the Home Depot on 127th Street and 110 Avenue around 2 p.m. after reports of a fire in the hardware section. Thick smoke filled the inside of the building. Fire crews quickly contained the fire and say everyone made it out safely. Two large storage racks of merchandise were badly damaged. It's unclear how long the store will be closed, and there's still no word yet on a cause. Now, a life-changing experience for a number of people in the Cowichan tribes on Vancouver Island. Shockingly, they only now have drinkable water in the taps at their homes after having gone most of their lives without it. Kylie Stanton has the story. 
As water pours from this tap, it's almost hard to believe. Have a drink, baby. For residents living on 20 properties along Indian Road in Cowichan Tribes, this is a first. It's been a long time coming, that's for sure. Yeah, it was unbelievable for me. I got pretty uh, choked up about it. It was just like, wow, I can't believe it. We're here. We can drink water from our own tap. Baba Kulshimit has relied on either well or bottled water his entire life. More than three decades of it spent in Cowichan raising his family. What he says had its challenges. You couldn't even consider drinking it. It was fizzing like pop when it came out of the tap. Want another drink? His daughter has since been raising her children under the same conditions. The water only suitable for laundry and bathing on good days. Having to use bottled water for everything from cooking dinner to like bathing our babies to, you know, making a jug of juice had to come out of a bottle. It's definitely a whole new world for us. Something so simple, so many of us take for granted is something to celebrate here. The community marking the milestone with a ribbon cutting ceremony on Friday. You know, when we think about um, water that's not safe for our community to drink, we think of this happening in rural communities, but really it's here and we're, you know, the biggest nation here in BC and we don't have clean drinking water for our people. The homes are located here, neighboring the city of Duncan, just two kilometers away. But it's taken decades of work to finally land the necessary federal funding to make clean drinking water a reality. I think that it's really good for people to be aware of and not take advantage of things that they do have, the luxuries that they do have. There is still work to be done. Roughly another 20 homes have yet to secure access. And there's currently no timeline as to when that's expected to happen. My heart goes out to those that are still having to live that way because I know what that was like. So Still, there are no grudges here. Yeah. Only gratitude. Forever grateful. Kelly Stanton, Global News. Coming up, bare shelves at the pharmacy. We've sold a lot more than we normally do. Why you better act quickly if you need cold and flu medication. But first, what the bombshell investigation at Donald Trump's private compound is doing to his grip on the Republican Party. Global BC wants to see you at the PE Fair. Catch all the fun at this end of summer tradition from attractions and entertainment to food and rides and the stories that make it all come alive. The PE Fair, in partnership with Global BC. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Massey Tunnel. Where you're going to see a delay is actually on the Steveston Highway off-ramp on the Richmond side. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the Real Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout B.C. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com, open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Well, today was the perfect day for a boat ride, but a group of renters ran into deep trouble in Burrard Inlet and needed some help from the Canadian Coast Guard. It happened around 1 p.m. This video from the Global News helicopter shows a speedboat being towed just east of the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. The Coast Guard says six people were on board when the boat hit waves and it took on water and ended up drifting onto a rock. Everyone was brought to shore safely and the rental company towed the boat back to the marina. Two weeks after the FBI conducted a search of former President Donald Trump's Florida home, new polling shows the latest scandal is only strengthening his grip on the Republican Party. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. 
With so many unanswered questions, yet so much public interest, the legal battle over just how much light should be shed on the is heating up. How did the FBI justify raiding Marlargo and spending nine hours in the president's house? This latest scandal is consuming Republicans and the former president, who on Monday filed motion to block the FBI from reviewing any of the documents seized. One of the benefits of the special master, if the master agrees with this, is we can stop DOJ in their tracks when it comes to inspecting these documents. This latest move comes after Trump promised, quote, a major motion, though during a court hearing to release the affidavit, his lawyer chose to not address the court. Donald Trump seems to be on the wrong end of things uh, legally here. And while the public wants access, so too do politicians. The so-called Gang of Eight, which includes all party and intelligence leaders, have asked for insight. When uh, documents have those markings, it generally indicates that the source of information is very sensitive. For a president rarely bruised by political blows, this time appears no different. A poll of Republican voters shows support for Trump has actually increased in the wake of the search, which could also speed up a potential 2024 announcement that is actually providing optimism for Democrats. Remember, Donald Trump never won the popular vote in either election. So uh, the Democrats, it looks like the, the tide is turning in their direction. With 24 still so far in the future, the focus remains on November's midterms, with Democrats keen to capitalize on recent wins as their opponents grapple with the fate of their future. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. In health matters tonight, chances are you know somebody who has had COVID-19. Maybe they're suffering through it right now. The virus is still affecting many people, and the pandemic is far from over. And as Claudia Van Emmerich reports, that's having quite an impact at pharmacies where people are trying to find relief. On this side, we have our children's fever medications, and you can see that there's some big spaces where there's not a lot of product. Cold and flu medications are in high demand these days, including here at Kelowna's Glenmore Pharmacy. This time of year, we don't normally sell a lot of cough and cold remedies, but th- we've sold a lot more than we normally do. Uh, in July, we sold about twice as much as we normally would in, in July. The brisk sales combined with supply chain constraints, even fueling a shortage of certain medications like children's Tylenol. It's all believed to be linked to COVID-19 continuing to make the rounds. Cough medicines, fever medications, runny nose, which are all mild symptoms of, uh, that can be attributed to COVID. Many catching the virus for the very first time since the pandemic began. That's because of the nature of the most dominant strain right now, the BE5 subvariant of Omicron. Highly transmissible means that the rate of the transmission from a person that is infected to other people around you is higher than the previous variants. However, the good news is that the severity of the new variant is lower. According to IHA, there are currently 72 people in hospital in our region due to COVID-19, six of them in ICU. That is considered a stable and plateaued level compared to previous hospitalization rates. Despite more manageable hospital numbers, many people are experiencing longer durations of symptoms. And for the older and more vulnerable demographic, the virus continues to take its toll. We are seeing outbreaks continuing in our uh, long-term care facilities in the older population. 
and we are still seeing unfortunate fatalities within this population. Newly designed COVID booster shots targeting Omicron strains are expected to be available within weeks, just in time for the fall season when more Omicron offshoots are likely to circulate. Back at the Glenmore Pharmacy, efforts are underway to ensure a good supply of cold remedies, but many pharmacies, including this one, are already rationing children's Tylenol. To one per customer. Increasing the chances for it to be available when needed. Claudia Venemer, Global News, Kelowna. And still ahead, back in the saddle at the PNE. Why it's so good to have the 4-H club back at the annual fair. But first, local merchants give a big boost to the security guard who took a beating trying to protect Chinatown. If you've never had the chance to visit the beautiful city of Armstrong, well, here's a reason to make it a priority. There is a sea of sunflowers sprouting this month. Sydney Morton has more on what the Armstrong Sunflower Festival has to offer. This year's Sunflower Festival in Armstrong is bigger and better than ever. There's eight acres filled with thousands of sunflowers. About 250,000 this year, about 10 times more than last year, even though the field's only twice the size. Last year, Mark, he walked them all in by hand, and this year we bought a two-row corn planter, um, so we were able to put more seeds on the same uh, footprint. There's more than 70 different varieties of sunflowers in the world that come in a variety of colors. And you can discover 25 of them at the festival. Red ones, white ones, cream ones. Uh, We even have a green and a purple variety. They're not in bloom yet, um, but they should hopefully by this weekend, if not um, halfway through next week. The festival is also a great boost in tourism for the area. It's important to get people connected back with the agricultural community. It's important to get people out and enjoy fresh air. And It's also nice. Armstrong and the Township of Spalmachine are small communities, and we're able to draw people in. Yesterday morning, we had a family drive in from Revelstoke. Uh, we're drawing people from West Kelowna, Peachland. So we're drawing people maybe to an area that they wouldn't necessarily visit otherwise this time of year. Not only can people reconnect with nature, but of course, take some photos in the sea of sunflowers. It's just all the yellow. Yellow is my favorite color, so it's just really wonderful to be here. And all the flowers just facing one way. It's just really stunning. So beautiful and unique. And there's all sorts of different ones. It's so nice. It's like peaceful and so beautiful to be out here. You can explore the eight acres of sunflowers for yourself in Armstrong until September 4th. But don't forget they are closed on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Sydney Morton, Global News, Armstrong. (laughs) All right, lots of sunshine out there. Um, But that was one of the areas, I think, that was included in a thunderstorm warning earlier today. There was lots of that around. Let's get the latest from Christy. That's right. The entire province really exploding in thunderstorms today. We've had severe thunderstorm watches and warnings. I just want to quickly highlight we also have uh, heat warnings now in place and it includes the south coast, house sound, as well as east coast of Vancouver Island and Nanaimo in particular. But really all of southern BC is going to see a surge starting tomorrow into Wednesday and Thursday where we're talking about highs into the low 30s and overnight lows not dropping down much. So we're talking about 17 to 19 degrees through the overnight period. Uh, not only Tuesday night, Wednesday night, but Thursday night also. It's Friday that we're going to see temperatures drop. All right. So here's a look at the thunderstorms. I want you to note the areas highlighted in yellow are under a watch. The areas highlighted in red currently have a severe thunderstorm, particularly near uh, um, sorry, Peachland. It's traveling north right now at 35 kilometers an hour. Areas impacted in the next half hour will be West Kelowna, Kelowna area. What can you expect? Downpours of rain as well as gusty winds and the most severe 
clear thing is the lightning. When you hear thunder head indoors, at any point that you hear thunder, you actually have the potential of being struck by lightning. Lightning can travel a significant different distance, up to about 16 kilometers. Meanwhile, southern uh, Caribou region also under a severe thunderstorm warning. So there's a number of thunderstorms sort of uh, in and around that Williams Lake area, and that is going to be the case for the next half hour. Now, things are going to settle down overnight. Tomorrow, though, explosion in terms of thunderstorms. Again, key areas we'll be watching is the Columbia, the Kootenai, as well as the Okanagan Valley. But you'll know the Fraser Valley could be impacted as well as parts of the North Shore Mountains. So I wouldn't rule out a passing thunderstorm even across the south coast, although that's not going to be the main event for our area. Again, from the Columbia through the Kootenai, the Okanagan Valley, the Thompson region tomorrow, those will be the key areas that have the potential for thunderstorms tomorrow afternoon. In the meantime, keep your eye on the sky. And we are, as I mentioned, when thunder roars, head indoors. For our region, though, we are expecting sunshine. It looks like it is here to stay, although we have some heat to contend with on Wednesday and Thursday. Here's tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Charlie Lake. Melissa sending us that. How's that for a summer evening shot over a lake? Oh, gorgeous. Absolutely perfect. You want to dive right in. All right, thanks very much, Christy. <laughs> So Chinatown merchants delivered a huge thank you to a security guard severely beaten in a stranger attack August 12th. The Vancouver Chinatown Merchants Association presented a check for nearly $9,000 to Harold Johnson this morning after he was beaten in a seemingly random attack while patrolling the neighborhood. The suspect has been arrested and charged and will appear in court again in September. Johnson was hospitalized and is now recovering at home. The very next day, uh, a bunch of us merchants got together and said, we need, we need to do something for him. This is not okay. He is our family. What's the biggest problem that you see? It's the drug and the mental, the mental capacity. You know, these people could be unpredictable. They could be packing a knife or a needle, walk behind you and stab you with a needle. They can put a bubble in the needle. Harold has been patrolling Chinatown for about 20 years. He and the local merchants are both calling for help from the city to make things safer for people in that area. All right, we're going to bring in uh, Squire now with a look ahead to uh, what's coming up in, in sports. Squire? Well, it wasn't the news that anybody wanted to hear in Lions country, but uh, it looks like B.C. has lost quarterback Nathan Rourke probably for the rest of the year, barring some sort of medical miracle. And Brian Burnham wishes... He could trade places with Rourke so BC's quarterback could keep on playing. I wish it were me, and I wish he were getting ready to go out there and lead this team, and I was in there rehabbing. This was the way Nathan Rourke was getting around today as he awaits surgery on his injured right foot. Ugh, he was having such a season, too. Okay, thanks, Squire. Also tonight, back in the barn at the PNE, why the show must go on for the kids involved in the 4-H club. I tuned into the Lions game late on Friday night, uh, hoping to see another record-setting performance. And funny enough, it was at the exact moment that Rourke was injured. I feel almost personally responsible. It's not your fault. Thank you. 
This is like goodwill hunting. It's not your fault. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, well, does a bad twist of Nathan Rourke's foot mean a bad twist of fate for the BC Lions as a whole this season? We don't know that yet. Unless he has amazing recuperative powers, it's unlikely Rourke will return this year from the foot surgery he'll be getting soon on the foot that was badly injured last week. He was at Lions practice today, unable to walk, but still wanting to be around his teammates at practice. I'm standing here. I can't put any weight on it. I'm wearing a boot, uh, and that's the only way I can kind of get around. So it's pretty swollen right now. I'm trying to wait and get the swelling down and um, before we get to surgery. Um, but it's, it's super painful right now. I don't have, really can't really bear weight on it at all. Man, he was having a record-breaking season, and... Uh... It hurt. You know, I heard the news, and I honestly, like, I felt physically sick to my stomach. Um, at this point in my career, I would trade places with him in a heartbeat. I wish it were me, and I wish he were getting ready to go out there and lead this team, and I was in there rehabbing. Um, that's how much Nathan means to me, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but onwards we go. team feels like a family, and... And uh, I'm sure we'll everything be all right. I'm seeing the people I need to talk to and make sure that getting everything off my chest and making sure I'm in a good mental headspace because that's I think that's the majority of the battle during the healing process. Well, with Nathan Rourke out, the keys to the best offense of the CFL have now been handed to his backup, Michael O'Connor. He takes over a team that's 8-1. and one. The Lions should be able to make the playoffs despite Rourke's injury. Granted, O'Connor's not played a lot, since turning pro when he would have to be considered a young quarterback, but so, of course, is Nathan Rourke, and the Lions succeeded. Connor, O'Connor make that, led UBC, you might remember, seven years ago to the Vanier Cup. He has a great set of receivers to work with. Now he has to soften the blow of the Lions star falling at midseason. With Nathan Rourke not expected to return for the rest of the year, the BC Lions season and Grey Cup aspirations rest on the shoulders of Michael O'Connor. And if that sounds like there's a world of pressure, that's because there is. O'Connor's now in charge of the CFL's top offense, which was running on high-octane Rourke fuel prior to the untimely injury. I mean, he's special, right? And, you know, he does a lot of things. Uh, you know, like, I mean, you guys have seen he was on a record-breaking pace this year. You know, but like I say, I'm not here to be 12. I'm here to be 11. You feel the guys have confidence in you? Definitely. Yeah, I think they know uh, what kind of... Uh, person I am how I prepare and, and you know they know that I'm ready to go you know and God forbid something happened to Nathan that I'm ready to to keep this thing going. O'Connor is the other Canadian quarterback in the Lions den. He of 37 career pass attempts and one touchdown pass in three CFL seasons. He was a free agent that BC went out and signed not because he's Canadian but because the Lions felt he could start in this league. He may not have the running ability of Rourke but O'Connor processes the game at a similar level. Michael knows the stuff. He knows the offense. He works at it. Well, he's stayed engaged. He, he works hard in the weight room. He works hard with, in the QB room, um, um, staying engaged and doing his thing. And he, he knows the offense. He knows the reads. Anytime he's ever gone into a game or when he gets reps in practice, he, he makes the correct reads. He makes the correct checks, all those things, which, is, uh, which means he's mentally into it. And so good for him. You know, yeah, expectations are... We're going to continue doing what we're doing. We still have great playmakers all around the field. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he's just going to come in and, and run the show. So you say you're not 12, you're 11. What's 11 going to look like Friday against the Riders? Uh, we're going to execute the system. We're going to put up points. Um, it's a great team is what I'm trying to say. 
and uh, you know it's uh, you know it's going to be a privilege and a pleasure to be able to go lead that team on Friday night. Little League World Series. It's not a good game so far for Canada. They are down eight nothing to Mexico in the fourth inning. Okay, Cristiano Ronaldo on the bench. Got in late in the game for Manchester United, taking on Liverpool. Both teams haven't won yet so far this year. This is uh, Jaden Sancho. Look at the patience and the goal. And then look at the family squabble after the goal. So Liverpool's down 1-0. They are soon to be down 2-0. Marcus Rashford. That's in. And Man U wins it 2-1. Before the game, there was actually a protest. Manchester United fans not happy with the Glazer family who owns Manchester United with the direction of the team. They would like them to sell the team. I don't think that's going to happen, but they let their voices be known just the same. And some turmoil. That but they won there. today, so the turmoil has simmered down just a bit. It's always good. Winning always helps. Thank you, Squire. The PNE is in the middle of its pandemic comeback, and no one is happier to return than the kids you'll see next. On the night shift, Jordan Armstrong is standing by with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, a 25-year-old man has now been charged in last month's double homicide at South Surrey Athletic Park. IHIT says Bryce Dallas Campbell faces two charges of second-degree murder and one charge of attempted murder. Plus, we'll tell you when construction will begin on a new gondola up Grouse Mountain. That lift will replace the ancient Blue Sky ride and carry passengers from the parking lot to the chalet in just five and a half minutes. These stories and a lot more tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. All right, well, tune in. Thanks very much, Jordan. Squire's here to wrap things up with, uh, you always do such a good job finding these stories down at the PNE. Well, Good to have the kids back. They, uh, they are back, and so are the animals. And as long as there has been a PNE, there has been 4-H clubs and animals for all of us city folk. If you are a city folk, that's what they call us, the city folk, to go and see. But this year, a little less, but understandably. Here we go. Like a lot of things, the PE is in recovery mode from the pandemic. But it's most noticeable at the 4-H festival. The 4-H uh, festival is a bit smaller. We see fewer kids here this year. Um, that's been a bit of attrition from just the years of COVID. There's been the flooding that's affected agriculture quite a bit. There's also been the fires up in central BC and whatnot that did definitely affect some of the 4-H members that may have participated here. It's really hard to get youth engaged and involved when you're not able to meet in person. So there's definitely some barriers that were built there. There might not be a more resilient group of people than those in farming, and 4-H is an extension of that. It's kind of like anything else, right? Like every year we have our ups and downs in things, and I think that this is just one of the smaller years because this is the first year that we've been able to get back and actually do things. But despite this being a downsized year, the 4-H experience for the kids has not diminished. I've made a lot of friends, and even things like public speaking and confidence and um, just things like that, because you need a lot of confidence, and I've learned a lot. I've gained a lot of confidence through 4-H. And they have learned that the show must go on. There are still animals to see and touch and learn about, and because it's a show, there has to be a star. And every year, it seems to be the same one. In our livestock barns, the favorite um, display is definitely our sow and litter. So that mama pig and her piglets is the crowd favorite. 
But we do have a good showing of, of 4-H members. We have a good variety of animals once again, everything from the rabbits to the steers, and uh, there's lots of activities for the kids, and we're really excited to have them back. That is awesome. And just so glad that they're getting so much out of it. You can see the pride. Oh, yeah. They do, they do get a lot of it. And it's generation upon generation. They help each other yep. as we go along. Mm -hmm. But always support. Always support them. The kids are all right. Mm -hmm. And on the topic of kids, hold off for one second, Gordo, because you might know what I'm talking about here. Baby news. Mm -hmm. The Global BC family is expanding again. Congratulations to reporter Andrea McPherson. And her husband, Darren. Yay. You know, you're supposed to hit your slot in television, but this child made everyone wait an extra week. Hadley Marie finally <laughs> arrived on Saturday just before 4 a.m., weighing 7 pounds, 1 ounce. Mother and daughter are doing very well. Andrea says Hadley is very sweet and very loud with a healthy set of lungs <laughs> and a full head of hair already. So welcome to the team, Hadley Marie. Absolutely beautiful. And congratulations, Andrea and Darren. She didn't want to come out until hair, her hair was just right. Maybe okay, that I'm, for, I'm good to go now. Yeah. For, for a TV person, maybe that's, that's appropriate. All right, Christy, last word we from you. Can you imagine if we were a week late for one of our hits? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little late. All right, uh, enjoy the sunshine, but we are in for heat for the next couple of days. And don't forget when Thunder Roars head indoors. Excellent advice. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.